Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right. This is weird, but I'm watching games at night. It's crazy. I watched the Jazz yesterday afternoon, early evening. They wrapped up, did the post-game press stuff, uh, listened to Donovan and Quinn, and then uh, and you'll hear from them a little later in the uh, first hour here, and then watched RSL. I mean, it's, I don't want to say life's back to normal because it clearly isn't, but... The NBA and MLS, the RSL and the Jazz playing, it does seem a little more normal than it did. No question about that. And, of course, mixed results. The Jazz looked great in the first quarter. Okay after that. Um, You know, the Nets are scrambling to put a team together. They've lost a lot of guys. And then the last quarter and a half, all the Jazz starters sit uh, because it's a scrimmage. I assume it'll be different when we get to the regular season games when the season restarts on Thursday with the Jazz playing the Pelicans. Um, But it was – you know, again, the third game looked better than the second game, so I guess they're making progress. Clearly, they're going to have to play better. This has not been very good competition here in the scrimmages, and their schedule is going to be more difficult. And then the playoffs are going to be more difficult than that. So uh, we'll get to the postgame comments with Quinn and Rudy and Donovan coming up. As for RSL, uh, a shaky first 45 minutes, but they got the locker room 1-1 with San Jose. And then the second half was a disaster. Uh, two penalties, a red card, then another red card at the final whistle, four goals. <laughs> a team that had given up three goals in five matches gave up five goals in one match. And, and San Jose has more fire, firepower than most of the teams they've played so far, so you got to account for that. But that second 45 was a disaster. Now, they've got almost a month before the league restarts. It looks like MLS is going to restart in late August. Um, so they got time for kind of a mini camp here to to get back on track they were defending really well and that was just a mess in the second half and they, they were in trouble in the first half they were they were fortunate they only gave up one goal uh san jose was running at him for a big chunk of the first 45 but the second 45 yikes all right dj and pk uh time now to listen in steve cleveland visiting us with us late in yesterday's show obviously he didn't have a chance to see the game that hadn't been played yet with brooklyn but nonetheless let's get some of his thoughts here on 97.5 and 1280 the zone so i had an opportunity to watch the jazz play a little bit and you saw mike conley be a more aggressive and more assertive offensively and i'm sure as a coach that's what you want to see how do you balance somebody being aggressive but not being overly aggressive to the exclusion of his teammates you know, I got those conversations that you have to start with, and uh, and I think you're you're typically asking the player a lot of questions rather than um, I mean, you know, what do you what do you think? What do you think your strengths are? Get them to talk and to kind of visualize what they could do to help this basketball team, and maybe what are the things you're not doing right now? What are the things that uh, you feel like? for us to be better that you can do. Having those kinds of conversations, that narrative is really important because it gives a player confidence. And anytime you lose a, you know, a guy like Bogdanovich who's averaging 20 a game and you know shooting 50% from the floor and 40% from the three-point, I think everybody understands that somebody's going to have to step up. And Mike Connolly's played the game long enough in the league that I, I don't think he's going to be offended. I know he was going through some... Um, confidence issues and so forth but oftentimes when people are going through confidence issues it's because they don't understand their role and uh, there's questions and so guys play hesitant i think right now he sees with Bogdanovich out especially that I, I have to be more than a point guard here i have to be a guy that can score score up the wing i need to be aggressive taking it to the basket 
And uh, and we talked about this before, but I think you're going to see a lot of minutes where Mitchell, Gobert, Conley, Ingles, and, and Clarkson are on the floor together. I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to start that way, but you're going to see a lot of minutes with them on the floor. So everybody does kind of need to know their role. Steve Cleveland joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So they're playing a lot of uh, young guys, and it looks like a preseason game because even if it's a close game, the last eight or nine minutes, the stars are sitting and and guys who have been on two-way deals in the G League or whatever, they're getting to play. Is there? Do you think a player who's been in that role can possibly step in going forward here in Orlando, or these are just a few scrimmage minutes and those guys are all going to have to disappear? Or could one guy make the leap at this point? You know, I I do believe that there'll be a surprise here. I, I don't know who it is. I mean, I watch. I mean, I I don't really know these guys. In fact, I was watching and listening a little bit over over the weekend and. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know a lot about them, but here, here's what could happen. And that and is this, is, is that go back to understanding what roles are, what they're to do, who, who has the most courage to step into a game for two or three minutes. It's hard to play for two or three minutes and come back out and go back in 10, 12 minutes later. But uh, it, it, someone in this group is going to step up and make a basket or two, is going to make a play or two, and I think at the end is going to differentiate themselves from these other new players. It, it won't surprise me to see one of them step up and uh, all of a sudden they're getting 8, 10, 12 minutes in game because of the circumstances. So, again, it's like understanding, you know, if I'm one of the guys, the new guys, I'm talking to the coaching staff, I'm talking to the assistants, what is it you're looking for? What do you want me to do? What, what, what would be my role? You know, how can I best help this team? And maybe they've already had all those conversations but I'd want them to know as a player, if I'm one of those guys, listen, I'm ready. I, I, I want, you know, I want to be in a situation where I can help this team. So those kinds of conversations, uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, anytime you're new and you're playing with a bunch of veteran players, there's some nerves that are going to take place, but not probably as much without a crowd there, without all the noise, with all the craziness. Uh, it's more like a practice. And we, we players don't tend to get real nervous in practices, whether it's a practice game or uh, in a, a real practice. So uh, I can see, so, not just with the Jazz, but throughout the league, some unknown stepping up and playing well because there's not it, does, it won't feel as much pressure without the fans. I mean, there's pressure there, don't get me wrong. Guys are trying to win games. But for a new young player, for a rookie or a guy that's, you know, is, has been traded, um I think there's less pressure now than there ever has been. So Gobert, we know, had wanted the ball more, wanted to be more involved in the offense. In a sense now, is he putting himself on notice now that that's gone public? Yeah, he has. And I think that, uh, you know, based upon, you know, the second game, you know, obviously he he got good looks at the rim. Let's not kid ourselves here. I mean, he's got to score at the rim. He's got to score in pick and rolls. You know, for him to all of a sudden start taking 10, 12, 14-foot jump shots on the baseline and doing things that he may think he can do and he has the potential to do, this is not the time to start experimenting with new places on the floor to shoot the basketball. Uh, do what you do. You know, get up there, and whether it's a side ball, high ball, side ball screen or a high ball screen, run, sprint to your spot, look for the lob. They did that more effectively the second game. Um, they, they can... Uh, 
this this is a team that needs Gobert to play well. I, I for for them to progress, and even if it means taking a little bit away from Mitchell in terms of what he does, because I think Conley feels comfortable where he's at. I think Clarkson's very comfortable with the app. Joe Ingles is very comfortable. I think Donovan Mitchell's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and anything he can do to to get the big fella around the rim is going to be helpful to this team staying there and playing a little bit longer than they might. Uh, can they? I'm just saying they can beat better teams if Rudy Gobert is scoring 18 or 20 points. If Gobert's going for eight, nine, getting his 15 rebounds. I don't. I don't think they'll be as good. So they've really, really got to get Gobert involved. And when I say involved, that doesn't mean he's posting up down there and we're giving him ball fakes and keep counting it inside to him. He's got to score in a way he's most effective, and that's at the rim. And don't try to be anything else right now. I mean, there may be a day in his career that he ends up turning around and can, you know, drop step or face up and, and shoot a 14 foot jump shot. But I'm not seeing that consistently. He needs to be at the rim and everything they do, especially when Donovan Mitchell can break down people. And I don't think there's anybody Donovan Mitchell can't break down off the dribble. And as soon as he does and help comes, you know, Gobert should be there. And if he's not somebody, if they're packing it in, then one of those shooters will be open. So um, really important for Gobert to be a part of this offense, not in the sense that uh, he's got to get more shots. He just needs to run the system. It'll open up the things for everybody. So, Gobert, and PK and I have discussed this multiple times, if he's going to be 20.15 rebound guy, which would make him a big star in the league, which I think he desperately wants to be, and his credit, he wants to get those stats while his team wins. He wants both things. But if he's going to get there, I think he's got to crush it even more on the offensive boards than he already does. Do you think he's capable of that? I know it takes a lot of energy and it's a lot to ask and a long grind of an NBA season, but this is more of a sprint than a grind. How much better can he be on the offensive boards? How many points can he go get for himself on second shots? No, I think that that is a great insight because those are just there. They're hanging around, you know, and he, and he has to be more physical. But there, you know, and sometimes with that comes some, a few over-the-back fouls or those kinds of things. But if he could pick up six to eight points a game on offensive rebounds, he's around there, he's the biggest guy on the floor, he's the longest guy on the floor, <clears throat> that mindset is going to get him to 20 or 22 points much quicker than if he's just getting them off pick and rolls or free throws or those circumstances. So, no, I, I think that's a great thought. And, and it's something that probably the coaching staff has talked to him about and, and having those conversations. If they haven't, they should. Uh, because it's another opportunity for him, not, not from a selfish perspective, but, hey, you, let me show you the ways you can really, really help our basketball team win. You know, we, we want to upset some people here. And I, I know they're having these conversations. I, I can't believe they wouldn't be. I mean, you're having conversations with every guy and what his role is and what he can do, and then asking him, what do you think? Can, I mean, you, you're not having that really open dialogue. You don't, you're not going to get better. And for Rudy Gobert... Uh, whether it's at the rim on pick and rolls, whether it's offensive rebounds where probably he, he could be better at, uh, making free throws, those kind of circumstances, uh, get him to that elevation of 20 and 15 that not only helps himself personally down the road, but helps the team. So, yeah, I, I think it's another way that he can help this basketball team by being aggressively. And, and the other thing is this. I mean, they're playing small a lot. And it will be more difficult at times. If they're playing small a lot, 
you know, rebounds are going to be longer and farther away because the ball's being shot from 22, 24, 25, 27 feet. He's going to have to rebound out of his area. He can't just stand around the rim. He's got to be really active uh, and rebound out of his area. That's what great rebounders do. They rebound out of their area. That means you've got to be aggressive. It might also mean that he plays a few less minutes because there's going to be a little more of a fatigue factor. But at the end of the day, to, to be a great offensive rebounder, you got to be able to rebound out of your area. you got to go to the ball and snack to, and then take that thing back up strong. Steve Cleveland, if you want to hear the whole conversation, go to 1280thezone.com. When we come back, Tony Finau. He can get to the top 10. He does it routinely. What does he need to do to win? We'll talk about the former West High Panther with Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Bob Casper joining us now from Real Golf Radio. You hear him Saturday mornings with Brian Taylor. They're on for three hours, getting you up to date on the world of golf. He joins us right now on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Bob, good morning. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. So, Tony Finau, the West High Panther. Before we get into all the, the numbers and all that, how, how, well uh-huh. do you, how well do you know Tony? Because he was a story as a teenager, so uh, this would be kind of unusual, a, a touring pro that you knew in his teens, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I can, you know, I can, we used to have our studio down there at Thanksgiving Point, and we'd see him walk in and out all the time, hitting, hitting golf balls and there to practice and play and that kind of thing, but... You know, Tony was a guy that um, my my son Mason. Um, they were kind of around the same age, and um, so they played a lot of high school golf and junior golf together. Um, became pretty good friends, and um, Tony, like you said, turned professional right after high school. Decided that he wasn't going to go to college, and and it took him a while to get out on the PGA Tour. But you know, he played he played the Canadian Tour, he played the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, one on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, also, um, you know, he's, he's played the PGA Tour now since 2015, so he's in his fifth year season. He has one win. It was an opposite field event down in Puerto, Puerto Rico, but, but nonetheless still a win on the PGA Tour. And he's still, he's still trying to get his second win. He's come close many, many times, especially um, this year when he lost, well, Last year, he lost to Xander Shoffley in a WGC event over in, over in Asia. And then this year, he lost to Webb Simpson. But, you know, you look at his last couple of weeks, uh, he has an eighth, um, and he has a third. And um, I like the way he's trending. I like the way he's playing. Um, and it's just a matter of time before he gets over the hump. And when he does, he's going he's gonna to be more, feel more comfortable with it, and, um, and he's going to win a lot more. So what specifically do you think he needs, Bob, to get over that hump? Well, you know, I, in, in talking with um, some people in his camp this week or this last week, 
um, when I had heard about uh, him letting his caddy go. Um, you know, I think one of the things is is that, that he gets somebody on the bag that can push him, that can um, not require not require him to uh, to be kind of uh, I guess conservative because that's that's not Tony. It doesn't seem like that's Tony's game. He's he's can what he, he's what I call or to term conservative aggression, and and Tony's a guy that's got distance. Um, and he needs to be able to maximize on on that opportunity. You know, he's he's a guy that hits it as far, if not farther than Bryson DeChambeau. He hits it farther, if not, than uh, Dustin Johnson and um, Brooks Kepka. Um, you know, all the guys that are long guys in the game, Tony can hit it right up with him. Uh, he's kind of dialed his game back a little bit to try to be more consistent. But in the last couple of weeks, he's become a little bit more aggressive off the tee and tried to hit the ball further down the fairway. So as, as he does that and as he gets a caddy on the bag that's going to push him instead of let him kind of lay back a little bit, especially in those latter parts of, of a golf tournament in the, in the late rounds, then I think you're going to see him have more birdie opportunities and then, have, and then be able to make some of those um, and to win a golf tournament. So, <clears throat> I'm I'm curious here with the thirty. He's got thirty top tens now in the last three and a half uh-huh. years without a win. And there, I think there are guys who have that many top tens, but they have wins. The guys who don't have wins, nobody else has more than fifteen of them. So, right. How much should he be congratulating himself on the uh, on the rounding the game into shape that you're in the top ten all the time, and how much do you think it's at the forefront of his brain that man I have got to win? Well, I think I think that's I think that's right up there. Um, you know that the forefront of his brain is is saying yeah, you know, and and maybe maybe he puts a little bit too much pressure on himself to begin with. I mean, when I when I look at what he's able to do. Um, you know, in the first three rounds of, of any golf tournament, his scoring average is phenomenal. He's in the he's in the top 15 on the PGA Tour. Um, in first round, he's he's ninth in scoring average. Second round, he's 14th in scoring average. And third round, he's 13th in, in scoring average. But this is the kicker right here. In his fourth round scoring average, he's, his scoring average is 71.33, which is 165th on tour. So he's, he needs to learn how to get that final round scoring average down in in the range that he's you know in the in the sixty nine range um, on average like like his other rounds are concerned and uh, and I think I think he'll he'll get through it but uh, you know my dad always said that when the pressure's on there's two things that can happen one that you you go after it. And, and you enjoy it and relish having the pressure on. You want the ball, so to speak, um, you know, to put it in the basketball term. Give me the ball. I want to shoot it. Or um, people shy away from it. Um, and Tony doesn't shy away from it. Tony, Tony loves the pressure. Um, you've seen him uh, have tons of pressure on him in a Ryder Cup situation, also in a President's Cup situation, and he's been able to perform. So I don't, I don't doubt that at all. Um, what 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 he needs to do is just figure out how to score better in a in a final round, and once he does that, then he's going to win golf tournaments. 
So then that's sort of a, a longer way of saying that it's all mental? It can be. You bet it can be. Um, but I think when, when you're talking about, like I said, the, the pressure, um, getting down to uh, the final nine holes of a, of a championship or whatever, um, it is a mental game. Um, and the guys that are able to handle it the best are, are, are able to perform the best um, under that type of a situation. So Tony's learning that. I mean, here's a guy that, that like you said, um, he turned professional at the age of 17. Um, he, it took him a long time to get, you know, eight, nine years to get out on the PGA Tour. Um, it's, it's a process. And Tony's, Tony, you know, he, he won, he won um, at each level as he's going along. He's won on the PGA Tour. Um, but, you know, to get your first one is one thing. To get your second one and more than that is, is a little bit more difficult. Um, and so, um, because, because it, like you said, PK, it, it, it deals with your mind a little bit more, man, I've won once. I need to win more. I need to win multiple more. I need to win a major. Um, he's put himself in contention in majors many, many times. Um, so it's, it's in, in my opinion, uh, everybody wants this, this gratification to happen quickly and that kind of thing. I, 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 in my opinion, Tony's right where he needs to be. Um, he's top, top 25 in FedEx Cup points right now. Um, he's had five top tens this, this year so far. Uh, he's only missed three cuts. He's made a couple million dollars already on the PGA Tour in a crazy year where they had to take three months off. Um, and he's come back, and he's come back very strong. And I think uh, I think he's he just needs to keep on the same track that he's going, and uh, and like like I said, get somebody on the bag that's going to push him a little bit to uh, to be a better player. Bob Casper joining us, Real Golf Radio, right here on ninety seven five at twelve eighty the Zone. I don't know if this question will say end up saying more about Tony or you know more about you, Bob. But let's go anyway. Um, you know, there's a quote that's older than any of us. Uh, I think it was attributed to Leo DeRosha or 80 or 100 years ago. Nice guys finish last. If you know Tony, he couldn't be nicer. I ran into him long after he'd blown up on the, on the tour, and I'd, I'd known him a little bit when he was a t- teenager, mm-hmm. doing a couple TV interviews and stories and stuff. And I saw him at Ron McBride's uh, tournament. He was there. He was saying hi to everybody who was coming through. No arrogance. Couldn't have been more grounded. But I know that in sports, you know, some of the best athletes in multiple sports we know can all be a little bit of a bleep. And a lot of people believe you got to be a little bit of a bleep to be the other incredibly physically gifted athletes in whatever your sport is. Does that work against him? You know, and you know, through your dad, you've been around some of the best golfers in the game. And some people can actually turn that on and off a little bit. They've got that, but they're very good at limiting it just to the competition. Other people, you know, just have it all the time. What do you think about that? Do you, do you buy any of the whole nice guys finish last and he just needs to be a little bit more of a you know killer instinct and grinder? Well, I, th- I think he does have a killer instinct. Um, I, th- I think he's a competitor. Um, he, but he is an ultra-nice guy. He's such a great guy. Um, so, um, <coughs> excuse me. You know, I think, of, I think of nice guys. I think of, um, you know, Phil Mickelson. Was was the ultimate 
one of the ultimate nice guys. Phil Mickelson would stay around for a couple, two or three hours after losing a major championship and sign autographs. You know, not everybody does that. Um, but yet he he was a competitor and and he he was an assassin and he wanted to, he wanted to beat you on the golf course. I think Tony has that in him. Um, you know, maybe he hasn't developed it to the to the length of say, uh, you know, a Phil Mickelson or whatever. But Tony's Tony's learning how how to be. Um, he's learning how to juggle. In other words, um, being a great guy and a super nice guy, being able to um, maximize his own time, and um, and um, and then I think he's he's also learning how, uh, like you said, to be an assassin, to, to be somebody that's gonna that's gonna relish being in a situation and beating the heck out of you. Uh, it's it's uh, like I said, it's a process. And um, and he's he's you know he's performing great. Um, it's just a matter of time, I think, before he wins and wins multiple times. So on Sunday, he's in contention, obviously deep into the tournament. A couple putts mm-hmm. don't go his way. Explain yeah. the nature of putting as I related to taking a shot in basketball or baseball. You know, in baseball, you want to put a good swing on it, and then really you can't control what happens. If it's hit at somebody, well, that's the way it goes. Uh, if you hit it over the fence, great. And basketball, you know, you want a good shot. We know a good shot versus a brick. We can visualize that in my, our sure. minds. On the green, you hit a good putt and it doesn't go. Is that uh, an oxymoron or is it something that you can live with? You hit a good putt, it just happened to not fall. Well, I think I think it's a little bit of both. First of all, um, you put pressure on yourself to make putts um, and that can cause a lot of problems. Uh, second of all, once, once you strike that ball and it's rolling on the green, there's so many influences in, in the, the texture of the greens, um, the slope of the greens, um, wind, um, all that kind of thing that are totally out of your control. You try to you try to put into your computer or your mind what 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 you see and and what you need to do to to make the putt. But it's it doesn't always necessarily happen that way. Um, but putting is a thing that Tony is starting to improve on. Um, last going into last week, he was uh, what they call strokes strokes gained. Um, on the PGA Tour. In other words, um, strokes gain means that the, the, the average person on tour would be a zero uh, in strokes gain putting um, out of all the players that play on tour. Tony is a .127, but really good putters are, point, are one or two point whatever. Tony right now is 98th on tour. Last going into last week, he was over 100. Um, so he's he's getting better with his putting. That's to me right now. I think that's the thing that Tony is is lacking is consistently good putting week in and week out. And once he, once he, I mean that's that's one of the things that my dad prided himself on uh, was his putting. Tiger Woods, a phenomenal putter. Phil Mickelson, a phenomenal putter. The guys that figure out their putting and that can make a lot of putts, um, you know, you drive it for show and you putt it for dough. And, and that's, what, that's what Tony needs to work on is his putting right now because it's lacking a little bit. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau went from 70-something to in the top 15. Um, and, and in doing that, 
he came out on on after this break after COVID, and and he uh, he had straight top tens and won a golf tournament. So if he can figure out the putting, that's going to lead a lot to the problems that he's having about not making or winning the golf tournament. Got to stay out there while the fog rolls in in Chula Vista and it gets dark. You almost have to sense the hole. Am I right, Bob? Well, well, and that's what my dad used to do when he was a little <laughs> kid. He used to caddy at San Diego Country Club, and they used to go out on the 14th green, which is par five, way out on the far corner of the golf course when it was dark. And they used to light matches over the hole and have putting contests <laughs> um, and putt for money. And so, um, you know, it's 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 a lot. It's you know, everybody thinks that you have to practice a lot with you know, with your long game and yes, you need to do that. But when you're lacking in certain areas, it, it requires you a lot of, it requires a lot of discipline for you to, you know, spend the time putting, spend the time working on, on rolling the ball and, and, um, you know, making that, making the short putts, making the long putts, that kind of thing. Guys win golf tournaments because they're making putts, you know, um, and, uh, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, any of the guys that are the top players, um, they're making putts to win golf tournaments. PK always says David Locke uh, fell in love with the wrong sport, that he should be doing baseball because he loves the numbers, he loves the analytics. And analytics yeah. and baseball are a great fit because the game isn't free-flowing. You know, it, it's a series of one-on-one matchups. There's a stop and a start. So you can really isolate the numbers. Basketball is okay. Football and soccer are terrible for, for analytics. It, it's just, uh, I'm thinking in golf, you always know these numbers, right? And you got these percentages. Do you know what percentage of a time guys hit 20, 30, 40-foot putts on tour? Obviously, the speed of the greens, the conditions, how wet they are, how much break is in a putt influences all of that. Is it worth drilling into all of that to know how often guys are supposed to hit what we would consider just monster monster putts under pressure? Yeah, so um, so the PGA Tour has all these stats, um, and and uh, you know he, he you look at Tony's stats. You know he makes ninety nine percent of his putts from three feet. He makes ninety percent of his putts from four feet. He makes eighty five percent of his putts from five feet. Sixty seven percent from six feet. 52% from 7 feet. Now look now listen to this. From 8 feet, he drops all the way to 38%, but from 9 feet he jumps back up to 48%. So, um, you know, putting inside 10 feet, he's at 88%, putting from 10 to 15 feet, he's at 31%. Uh, 15 to 20 he's at 13%, 25. He's at he, he actually makes more putts from 20 to 25 feet than he does from 15 to 20 feet. So, um you know, there there are lots of stats and everything like that, but you know, I, I think overall putting, um, you just you just have to work on it, the feel for it. Putting putting has a lot to do with mechanics, but it's all about getting the ball in the hole. And and um, players like Ben Crenshaw, my dad, um, Tiger Woods, whatever, they have a knack and a feel for the situation. Not only that, but also how to get the ball in the hole, um, to roll it in such a way that it has a chance and an opportunity to go in there every time. Bob, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Take care. Bob Casper, Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. Saturday mornings, check the show out. Three hours of golf, hardcore. If you're a golfer, you'll love it. All right, when we come back, the Jazz postgame thoughts after they get the win over the Nets in the scrimmage. Stay with us. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz beat the Brooklyn Nets in their final scrimmage, so they lost the first one, won the next two, and none of that really matters. Regular season resumes on Thursday night with the Jazz playing the Pelicans. That's what matters. All right, time now to listen in to uh, Rudy Gobert. Unfortunately, there's some background noise. There's clearly a lot of people you know, down a hallway or whatever, making noise. Actually, some of his teammates are giving a hard time. Joe Ingles <laughs> jumped into the post-game interview just messing around. So you'll hear a commotion, and that's his teammates having fun. Uh, here's Rudy. So the first question will be from Ryan McDonald, Deseret News. Rudy, how important is it for you inside offensively that um, you guys can still generate good three-point shots even with Boyan not there? Uh, that's the key to our offense. You know, put a, try to put a lot of pressure on the rim, whether it's with the rolls, with the drives, and uh, and when the defense collapses, you know, find the open threes, and we have uh, a lot of guys that can knock down those threes. Thanks. All right. Next question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Got your own cheering section going on. Um, the second straight game, the young guys really kind of held their own down the stretch. What did you? Uh, what did you see from? What did you see from them in those clutch moments? Have fun, guys. All right, Eric. <laughs> I don't know if you caught any of that. Uh, so for the second for the second straight game, the young guys really kind of held their own in the in the clutch moments of the game. What have you seen, kind of in terms, uh, you know, of the of the development of some of those guys? I think it's great. You know, it's great for the young guys to be able to, to get those minutes. And, uh, you know, they've been very focused, uh, especially defensively. You know, they try to make the, the right play. And, uh, and they've done it. You know, they want to win the game tonight again. Okay. Um, do we have any more questions here? If not, we're going to have to wrap up. Anyone, raise your hand, please. Uh, oh, oh, we got one more. Sorry, Ben Anderson, KSL.com. Hey, Rudy, what do you feel about the next couple of days off before you face New Orleans, and what does that first game mean to you? Uh, I think we got a, you know, I don't think we have, we have to take the game days off. I think it'd be great to do some recovery, hit the weight room, get some such up, shots up, whatever we have to do, and, uh, you know, and get ready for the game. And, you know, it's, you have eight games before the playoffs, so, you know, each game, I think, going to be a great way for us to to keep getting better and keep finding our rhythm until the, the playoff out. What does it mean to you to be a part of the reopener, being the first game back? I mean, no, I was I was part of the closing, so it, it, 
it's meant to be. You know, I got to be part of the, of the reopening. All right, there's Rudy Gobert. Thought he and Donovan Mitchell combined pretty well early on. Uh, Rudy had some chances he didn't finish early on. Then he got it going. Donovan ended up with four assists, all of them to Rudy Gobert. And I think he could have easily had a fifth or sixth assist there early on if Rudy had finished some of those chances. Here's Donovan Mitchell after the game. All right, we'll uh, get into some questions here. Our first one is from Ryan McDonald, Deseret News. Donovan, how important is it that you guys are specifically aggressively looking for your three for three point shots with Boyan out specifically? Um, I think, you know, with, with Boyan out, you know, obviously there's opportunity at the three point line that we really need to take advantage of. Um, I think for us, just like I said, I think it's very crucial to our game, you know, getting there and knocking shots down, just being confident and taking the early shots. Um, when you lose a, a, a top scorer like Boyan, it's definitely tough to kind of replace him in every way, but one way he really impacted the game impacted the game was in three point lines. So we're doing our best to kind of you know get open looks and continue just to knock them down. Our next question will be from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Donovan. I uh, I want I actually wanted to ask you about the other side of the ball. It seems like you guys are not having any trouble scoring. Uh, that doesn't seem like that problem is going to be that end is going to be any problem. How do you guys feel about how your defense has come along over these, um, over these three games? I think it's been inside. Obviously, the first game was a little bit different, you know, but I was getting our kink, working the kinks out. I think all these three of these games have allowed us to kind of see where, you know, what we're lacking, our deficiencies are. And I think for us, just continuing to make that an emphasis. Um, they're not always going to be perfect, but covering mistakes, you know, obviously getting the bigs engaged at the rim, us getting engaged in the, in the, in the ball, on the pick and roll, um, and really dictating to the to the offense, you know, instead of being the ones who are kind of just reacting. And I think that's we've done a great, a better job of that these past two scrimmages and, you know, look it up to clean up and practice and uh, go from there. Next up, Ryan Miller, KSL.com. Hey, Donovan, you've never been one to be um, muted on your sideline celebrations, but how important are those now that there's no crowd for you guys to just kind of give energy from the bench? I think it's, it's huge. I think I give a huge shout-out to the Rooks, man, the young guys who, you know, have been staying engaged, you know, especially early on in the game and, and when things are going on and vice versa when they're in the game, uh, kind of giving them the support we need, they need. But going out there, and I think it just creates a, a fun type of atmosphere. Obviously, it's quiet. Uh, things are going to get really serious, but I think it creates – just a little more chemistry, a little more camaraderie that we have and that we build as a team. And, you know, for myself, just continue to keep it light, you know, because there's going to be moments where we need to be really locked in and serious. And, you know, if we're able to yell and scream and kind of be happy on the bench and kind of keep that, keep the mood light, I think it'll help uh, as we move into the playoffs. We have Tony Jones, The Athletic. Hey, Donovan, um, before you know, in the months before uh, you guys came back to market, you know, what are some of the things that you worked on by yourself in terms of your individual game and and what were some of the emphasis that you wanted to, to improve uh, once the restart happened? Uh, I think the biggest thing is just patience. Um, I didn't really have a chance to work on it, per se, with everybody, you know, kind of not being able to play five on five, but um, just honestly, just watching a lot of film, watching areas where I can improve. Uh, I've made a real emphasis to kind of work on the passing, whether it's a lob or outside three. That way, you know, like I said, gets my teammates open looks, but then again, it comes back and helps myself as well. Um, just continuing to, you know, slow down a little bit, make the right reads and, you know, just kind of grow. I kind of use it as an off season to take another another leap in, in that way. And I, I've been, I feel like I've been doing a solid job of it. I can do better. Uh, I think I've turned the ball over three times each game. I kind of have to lower that in about 20 minutes. That's not not on pace for the right numbers in that category, but just continuing to work on things 
um, was my biggest emphasis, but continue to be patient, uh, making good decisions. You know, obviously scoring is going to be what it is, but, you know, I'm looking to kind of capitalize and, and, and improve my overall game as far as, you know, right decisions, whether it's a pass, shot, uh, and even on the defensive end as well. All right, next we have Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Don. Um, just curious your thoughts on getting a sense of the virtual fans. I know it wasn't in full effect, but could you feel that? Could you hear that? What was that like? Um, the fans threw me off a little bit, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're, when, you, when you play in front of these arenas, you're used to whatever's really in the background. Uh, the noise, I was not really a fan of. It just felt like I was in the big game of 2K. Um, and it just didn't feel real. It felt like a little like, I don't know how to explain it, but I didn't, I wasn't really a big fan of the, just the random noises, um, especially since a lot of it was delayed. So like after a bucket, it would be, they'd inbound it and then they get to half court and then you would hear the yelling and screaming. Um, but hopefully that, that changed. I think they were just testing it out today. But as far as the fans being there go, I really didn't, if you didn't, like I really didn't notice. Um, except when I shot the tech, that's when I really noticed that they were there, but that's really it. Next is uh, Eric Woodyard, ESPN. Hey, what's up, Don? How you doing? What up, I, Obviously, man, it's still early, but, you know, sometimes it takes time for, to get chemistry on the on the court between you and teammates. But you and Rudy, you guys been in sync this whole, you know, these scrimmages today, full, all four of your assists to him. Have you been surprised how quickly that chemistry has picked back up after being away from the game so long between you two? Not really. I think a lot of it was just really just making – you know, being patient, you know, being able to find him and then him being able to make plays when I do pass it. I think that's that's the biggest thing. And, you know, I don't think it was a, a drastic change or nothing. Um, but I think we've both been doing a great job of, on our end, on each of our ends to make it easier for, for each other and just going out there. And then when he rolls, somebody else is open or he's open or my, my lamp is there or whatever it may be. Um, but I didn't think it was too hard. You just kind of come with the right mindset and just go out there and do what we've been doing. All right, there's Donovan Mitchell now. Here's the head coach, Quinn Snyder. Hey, Coach. We'll uh, get right into questions. The first one is from Tony Jones, The Athletic. Hey, Coach. Um, you know, I noticed that over the three three games, Donovan Mitchell, you know, is kind of picking role plays, been a little bit more patient. He's getting a little deeper into the lane and making really good reads out of that. What are you seeing out of Donovan's pick and role play? And is this that's something that you guys have worked on through film and and through reps on the floor during practice time? Well, you know, Donovan's on his game, you know, tirelessly. And, you know, that's one of the things that, that he's worked on, you know, continue to work on. Um, I think his, you know, the fact that he can both hit the three, um, get in the lane, he's got a mid-range game, and is able to pass the ball uh, to guys on the, on the perimeter and also – you know, make interior passes to Rudy or Tony, whomever it is. Um, he's really difficult to guard in those situations. And uh, as you said, you know, I think his patience just continues to let him make reads. And uh, when he's able to do that, he, he can make a lot of plays. He's, he's a creator um, and a playmaker. Next up is Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Q. Uh, so you you mentioned kind of intermittently that sometimes some of the guys need a little prodding to kind of be aggressive in terms of taking three-point shots, whether it be off the bounce in transition. Uh, seemed like they're like that's kind of going away, like, like there wasn't as much hesitation in the first half. Are you liking what you're seeing in terms of the aggressiveness from the guys on offense? 
Yeah, I, I think there were actually some shots, I think, you know, that we passed up. It was great to see Joe come out really aggressive at the beginning of the game. Um, you know, Mike's taking his shot. They're all they're all being as aggressive as we want. And I, I think for a team that can shoot it, you know, that'll open up a lot of other things, and, and it has. I would also say, um, particularly, you know, Donovan and Mike defensively, you know, the aggression that they've had on the defensive end, along with being disciplined, whether it's, Pressing the ball, guarding screen actions, you know, getting up and into people and pick and roll and, and getting back into their man. It's, you know, those two things, I think, feed each other. Um, the aggression on offense and the activity on defense. And that's something that we've talked about. And it's really good to see those guys embracing that and executing. The next question is from David James, KUTV. Coach, I'm curious uh, how much confidence you have in that really big lineup playing Bradley alongside Gobert. Do you think that's something we'll see routinely only when the matchups dictate, or is it just not quite there yet? No, I mean, I, I think it's hard to say it, it's there because we haven't done it, you know, enough for it to, to be there, but it's certainly present. Um, and, you know, we have confidence in Tony and Rudy, and, you know, with Boyan being out, you know, we're looking for ways to. Um, handle matchup situations and, you know, get our best players on the court. And, uh, you know, Tony's been playing real well. I, I think he gives Rudy, or I should say Rudy gives him um, a lot of confidence. And uh, I liked tonight that, you know, I thought Mike in particular um, really, you know, managed that, that the game well during that stretch. And um, ironically, I, I didn't think we rebounded as well as we could with that group. And some of them were, you know, balls bouncing around and things like that. But, um, more than anything, it's probably a lineup that allows us to match up in some, some situations more than, um, you know, a lineup that you'll see, you know, for larger periods during the game. Uh, we have a follow-up from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Coach, we've seen uh, you and your staff and, and the staffs of other teams wearing those uh, coaches for social justice badges the last few days. Is that something that you plan to continue to do throughout uh, all the seeding games and playoff games coming up? Yeah, I think the message is, you know, it's very straightforward. Um, it's something, you know, that, as I mentioned before, that all the coaches in the league have, have talked about and we're really committed to continuing to raise dialogue and to the extent that we can, you know, impact long-term change. So this is a short period of time actually to be wearing them relative to some of the things that, that we want to see um, that are going on with racial and social justice issues. There's Quinn Snyder's the Jazz beat the Nets. All right, intensity should ratchet up Thursday night. The Pelicans, actually Thursday afternoon, it's 4.30 start. Uh, DJ and PK, everything that's going on last night, what is trending? Coming up next, stay with us.